to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. This week, we're joined by Matt Stubbs from Crossbeam again, and we're going to be talking through the progress that he's made over the last couple of weeks In our previous episode, we looked at a bit of the backstory of Crossbeam and the way that Matt approached coming up with, and not so much coming up with an idea, but assessing opportunities and problems to solve. We talked a little bit about his experience with his previous app in the e-commerce space, including lessons learned and things to do differently and the exit process and what some of that was what some of that experience was like for him we talked a little bit about what crossbeam is and the problem that it solves related to integrating neato and zero this week we're going to dive a little bit more into the product side and look at how matt is making decisions around feature requests so it's already it's early days in terms of building something and the priority is to ship a working product by by June. And so that's a tight deadline that we're working towards. But having started to have conversations with beta testers, one of the requested feature sets around building debtors will slow down the, the, road, the product roadmap. And so if that feature set is built, then the shipping deadline may not be met. And so we we have a conversation to explore their thought process around making decisions like that. And I think they're going to be pretty common decisions around which features to prioritise or not as you're building software. I also talk about some of the projects that I'm working on related to a website refresh and also continuing on I mentioned in the last episode that I was building a knowledge base using a platform called Notion. And I expand on that and and talk about some of the problems I was trying to solve with the knowledge base and the way that that rollout's going. So without further ado, we'll head over to the audio. Enjoy. Hey, Matt, great to be chatting with you again today. How are things? Things are pretty good. Thanks, Meryl. Uh, we're sort of getting into a bit of crunch zone at the moment with Crossbeam because we're we're aiming to be launching by the end of June, which is next month. So I'm sort of uh, pushing pretty hard to get some features nailed down and try and get some beta testers testing, which sort of adding a bit more uh, stress and urgency, I guess, than I'd normally like in my day-to-day routine. But uh, things are moving along, so that, that always feels good. Yeah, great. In the last episode, we were talking a little bit about the origin story of Crossbeam and how we came up with the idea and your approach to looking for ideas. In this episode, we'll chat more about beta testers and and the phase of building the product that you're in at the moment. So let's dive into that. As someone who's not experienced with building software, I find it really interesting where we're in this phase where the product, some of the product is built and it's ready to be tested by users. So so how do you think about that? What's a good number of beta testers? What are we trying to achieve in this first phase of of introducing the product to new users? I always want to get the software in front of beta testers uh, as soon as possible. So as soon as I've got something that's 
you know, functional and useful. I, I try to get, you know, real people in the potential market to start using it. And the main reason for that is not, um, not that I want them to help me find bugs or things like that because the software will be buggy. But more importantly, I, I want to find out the things that I don't know that I don't know. So there's there's functionality that will be um, for, for people that have been working in their business for so long, they won't even, even if you interviewed them, they probably wouldn't think to mention that they do something a certain way. And I think if you can sort of build the the tool that they're going to use and then put it in front of them, you'll very quickly find out if something's missing or if something's working differently to how they need it. And you, you, you're going to, you, it's very hard, I think, for me at least, to, to interview someone to find out that information. But if I show something functional to them and they try it out, I can get that feedback very quickly. And how do you know what's enough to put it in front of someone? I think uh, for me it's just as long as it can do something useful. So with Crossbeam, um, we're actually probably – I was I was really keen to get it in front of beta testers as soon as possible. We've gone a little bit um, slower on this one, I think, than probably I would normally do. Where, you know, as soon as we started importing data, I would have wanted to find some customers to test it out with. That's been a bit tricky with Crossbeam because uh, it's it's accounting workflow software, and e-commerce merchants have lots of things on their plate and testing out accounting software is not very high up on the list, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So we've had to build out a bit more of a fully featured product before we can actually have something that's just interesting enough to, to get them to spend time looking at it. But in an ideal world, I just want to put something in front of them as soon as it as soon as they can log in and do something, interact with their store and see something useful, even if it doesn't do the full workflow that we're, we're aiming for. And I think you raise an interesting point there that they're busy e-commerce business owners and they've got a lot of things on their plate. So testing new software might not be high up on their priority list. And I think anyone building software is going to have this challenge of in the early stages, what's a big enough incentive for someone to want to be a beta tester or use the product? And maybe it's because that software is going to solve a massive pain point for them. And they really just, that they're excited to, to see it built. But I can see that that would be challenging if you're trying to encourage very busy business owners to test the, so- the software. How do you create the right incentives or the, the, the right messaging to encourage that, to actually find these early users? Yeah, I think you've really got to rely on early adopters, people that just do want to be into new things and trying out new stuff. And um, that's... I mean, that's easier if you're probably building something like a cool iPhone game or, you know, a new, um, I don't know, photography-based social media platform. There's probably lots of people that are keen to try that out, Uh, less so with zero workflow tools. But um, you can still get, you know, even if they're, you know, it's, it's a problem with beta testers that people will install stuff and then that's the easy bit. Actually, giving you feedback is the hard bit and so you won't always get feedback from them. They might install it and you don't hear from them. But that can still be useful for us because with software like this, it's, um, you know, we host it on our own servers, we have logs, we have error reporting. So if they install it and the system has trouble importing data from their store or things like that, we can still see that those errors come mm-hmm. up even if the, the beta tester isn't aware of it or engaged enough to report them directly. We can sort of have some monitoring going on that's going to report back those issues and let us catch them before we uh, release it to a, a wider audience. And we also have the luxury of having our own in-house beta tester in Tracy 
who is very experienced with what or multiple accounting workflows. So not only experience, a typical e-commerce store owner might be experienced with their workflow or a couple of different workflows, but Tracy's seen lots of different Neto and Zero workflows. And so can picture some of the common roadblocks or the features that we need. And so is that a bit different to what you've experienced previously in, in having someone in-house? And, and and how is that different to, say, testing with a customer? Yeah, it is different. I mean, Tracy's coming from a, you know, she, she's essentially a, a, a domain expert, She's but not a potential end user herself. So mm-hmm. she has an idea of how certain things should be done, but that doesn't mean that's how the users are doing them. And so they couldn't, there can be a, um, I guess, a, a, a sort of education gap there where you might, um, as an as a sort of a, another example, it might be if you were building email marketing software and you had a domain expert that said, you know, you should remove bounced emails from your list to keep your list clean and, and you shouldn't email people too often and this sort of thing, but the end users wanted to email everyone all the time. And so you need to sort of bridge that gap between mm-hmm. what people want to do and what's actually going to work best for the goal they want to achieve. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's an open question for me around are our customers going to be accountants for these for the e-commerce stores themselves or are they going to be the business owners? And they would approach accounting from through very different lenses. The the way the business owner looks at accounting and their numbers and the, the workflows is different to how an accountant looks at it, I I think. And also the the marketing, the copy, the the pain point that's being solved is different for those two groups. And that's something I've been observing with other tools in the accounting space is how how do they pitch themselves? Is it something to make the accountant's life easier or is it something to make the business owner's life easier or or whatever the benefit is? So for me, that's a bit of an open question. As as we start to talk with more customers, we might gather more information there. I think, yeah, definitely. And it might be be one of the unusual sort of areas where – there are two parties that have to buy in. So I had a I had a call with a potential uh, customer this week. He over email. He was super keen to to try out the product. And when I explained how it worked and that we're doing a batch syncing uh, workflow, um, which isn't essentially rather than pushing over every transaction, we batch them together. He th- he thought that sounded great, but his accounting team didn't. And if his accounting team isn't on board. He, he's not going to move forward. Um, there's no way that you're going to overrule your accountants, <laughs> I think. You'd, you'd be mad to do it. So we need to get buy-in, I think, from both um, the the accountant and the, the end user as well. You know, I think that'll be interesting when there's two different people who are making that purchasing decision and, and how we tackle that. And that'll be something that I'm lo- looking after, sales and marketing. So that'll be a, a challenge for me to be focused on down the track as well for sure i mean we've got the advantage though that we've got um both yourself and tracy on the team because if it was me trying to tell an accountant how to change a workflow (laughs) i think it'd be a very short conversation but um with with you two involved we've actually got some credibility to, to have that and really dive deep into those conversations with them yeah and something else that you mentioned there was around education and one of my favorite podcasts the tropical mba they talk about when you're building products, is it an education gap? So does someone need to be educated on something before they can buy it? Or is it more that they are already buying the solution 
and they're looking for something better, so a cheaper price, better service. And I think it can be, from what they describe, it can be challenging if you've got to educate someone before they can buy the product. And that was something we experienced with Zero in the early days where nowadays everyone in Australia knows about Zero and knows about cloud accounting software and is a bit more secure around the, the security side of things. But back then it was, well, is Zero even a good tool? Is it safe? And so we had to have that conversation first. So th- that's something that I'm thinking about as you mentioned that. So let's jump back to the work that you've been doing. And I know we've been having conversations in Slack about a particular debtors feature and we had to think through the way that we're building Crossbeam with batch payments, at the moment, we can't service all of the customers depending on their workflow and how they treat debtors. And I think that was interesting. We had an interesting conversation around, do we need to build this right now? But that's going to slay, that's going to slow us down. We've got a deadline, really, when, when one SaaS discontinues. So do we need to build this feature set? And if we don't build it, then what percentage of the market are we excluding by not not having that ready at launch date? And I wondered if you could expand a little bit on on that problem that we were thinking through. Yeah, so it's it's been a tricky one because you're right. We've got a there's a subset of uh, users in our target market that need this this debtors feature. They need a, a feature that can report um, the 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 debtors balance for their store. Now, not all of them need it, and We'd been building, assuming that not only most of them would need it, but the ones that would need it, they have access to the basic functionality in their e-commerce platform already. So there was sort of a a good enough tool already that we didn't have to include that in the core product we were building. But after some investigation um, on Tracy's side, she's found that the the existing tool that they've already got access to isn't sufficient for what, what they'd need. And then we we were sort of stuck because we we had to decide, you know, as you mentioned, if we could we could build that. We you know you can build anything given enough time and resources, but we're trying to ship something on a reasonable time frame and hit uh, hit a, a shipping date that we've set for ourselves. But there's no point shipping something if the majority of our target market isn't going to be able to use it. Now our target market doesn't mean all of the potential users. It just means the people that we actually want to. Um, focus on to begin with. So there, there was sort of a, yeah, we had a discussion um, in Slack and we tried a couple of things because it, w- it was really hard to measure how many people this would affect. And one of the things we did was uh, we could, we, I mean, first of all, we could draw on the experience that Tracy had working with merchants previously, mm-hmm. so her own um, client roster. And the other thing is that uh, we posted a um, s- Sorry, we posted a, a poll in Facebook to sort of ask merchants how do they use debtors and how they track those things. And interestingly, you know, some of them didn't actually know what that was, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. It could be a good thing that they don't need it. It could be a bad thing that, you know, they have it or their accountant manages it for them and they don't even know that that's going on. And if we tried to uh, switch their business over to our tool, it could be a big problem. So we're going to need to have some clear sort of um, education and content around what functionality we do deliver and, you know, where the boundary is where we can't provide certain functionality for certain users. But at this stage, I think we're going to be good. I think I think we're going to be able to ship without that feature. 
um, and still have a good a good number of users we can support and then look to add it later if there's enough demand. So are there any other challenges or interesting things that you've been learning over the last couple of weeks since we last spoke? Probably the biggest challenge is just that where we're dealing with customers that have existing workflows and everything's a little bit different. And there's probably more variety than, than certainly I anticipated going into this this project. So my background uh, working with e-commerce, for example, on Shopify, there was a lot more uniformity in the way the, the stores on Shopify ran. And I think because this is a different platform, the market's a bit smaller and they're, they're a bit more sort of enterprise level businesses. A lot of them are a little bit more different to each other. So there's everyone's got a slightly different setup. And I think it's going to be a bit more of a challenge to make sure that we sort of tick all the boxes for a lot of people. And that's that's going to be something that I think we're going to be working through um, as we launch and for some time after. Well, I will share now a little bit about what I've been working on. And I was hoping to be giving Crossbeam updates myself around things that I'm working on in the sales and marketing and partnerships side of things. And there's a little bit of that ticking along in the background, working on some content pieces, so blog posts, and also building towards a webinar that's around the e-commerce accounting space and particularly the the workflows that we're helping to uh, the problem we're helping to so- solve with Crossbeam. So that's ticking along in the background. But a, a challenge that I have, which, which is a problem that I've faced a couple of years ago in Ninjas, w- when I was about to take maternity leave, was well, I need to get things off my plate in order to be able to, to focus on th- these new projects. In that case, the, the project was was a baby. <laughs> Maybe project's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing quite focuses you like a baby, does it? Yeah, and I there's a, an episode in back in the archives where I talk about uh, we had well, a bit, just a bit less than nine months to really get organised and that was a forcing mechanism for me to get a lot of things off my plate so that that bandages could continue to run and it actually grew while I was taking time off away from the business to to be with our little baby. So this time around, some different things have snuck back onto my plate and I'm also still working on the merger project Tracy from Cloud Counting and her team merged with Beaninjas at the end of last year, end of 2020. And one of well, my role in this is to make sure that there's a really smooth transition as they take on the Beaninjas brand. So there's a couple of projects that I'm working on at the moment that I need to get done so then I can free up some more time to work on fun things like software. So I'll talk through a couple of these projects. And even though they're not, I'd say they're not specifically related to an early say stage software business, they they would relate to businesses as they grow. So the first project I'll talk about is building a knowledge base in Notion. And this has been a really fun project for me, actually. I've, I have been enjoying learning how to use Notion, but also it was a much prettier tool than what we were using previously. So I've been having fun thinking about how, how do I build it, but how do I make it really useful for the team? There's no point in having a knowledge base that looks great if no one's actually using it. And so that that was one of the problems I was thinking through where we've got over 100 SOPs. How do we organise it and structure it so that it's easy for people to find what they need? It's clear who is responsible for keeping things up to date. And also I'm thinking about speed of execution. So a, a bit like what Matt's talking about. 
what's the minimum we need to get this knowledge base up and running for Tracy's team? Uh, challenges we've run into previously, we, we ran a project a couple of years ago at Bing Ninjas where we documented over 100 SOPs and then they weren't maintained. And then no one could tell whether something was up to date or not. And so we weren't really using the resources that we've had. So this time in Notion, it's really laid out in a visually appealing way and different departments are all categorised on on the, the central home knowledge base page as really clear who owns what area. So each department manager, like bookkeeping, tax, internal operations, that area is grouped together and then you can drill down for example, bookkeeping, if you wanted to look at how do we do end of month for a client, and then that'll be split down into a whole lot of procedures. And when I think about what makes a, a great standard operating procedure, I think it's important to know where it fits in. So why are we even doing this? I, I like to start with that. And then I also think it's really helpful to have, we, we record Loom videos of how to do something and then also have the, the text. Now, if I tie this into, well, how do we execute on this quickly? I like to, I actually talk about MVPs often, not just related to software, but everything. So what's the minimum viable product for an SOP or for this knowledge base and how can we move quickly? And so something we're trying this time around is that whoever's experienced in creating a procedure is recording the video and then some of our more junior staff are actually involved in writing the procedures so that they learn as, as they go about it. There's a, a theory that, you can watch someone do something, you can do it yourself, and then if you teach someone, then that's really what's cementing the knowledge. So that's that's one of the strategies we're trying here. I also am a big fan of short deadlines, uh, but I'm conscious too that we're, we're at the end of the March buzz period, we're coming up to end of financial year, Tracy's just had two new team members join. So it's a bit of a balance of, of how hard do we push towards deadlines, but also we don't want team members to burn out. So trying to get that that balance right is something I think about because I yeah, love to, to push hard and, and, and go fast, but not everyone is like that. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. So have you been uh, sort of migrating existing content over and creating new stuff, or is this pretty much from scratch that you're building this? It's a bit of both. So we already had a hundred SOPs in a, a different program so, and some of them are pretty good. So I've I've migrated those across, but they weren't organized in a way that was logical or easy to find. So you had to, it was overwhelming. So visually with Notion, it's easy to create a, a nice homepage where there's not a hundred procedures just staring you in the face, which is what it was like in our old software. And it so it wasn't organized nicely. So I actually spent a, a bit of time thinking about the structure of how do we organize things? How do we group it? What should sit where? Folder structure, that kind of thing. That's actually where I put most of my attention. And then I, I spent some time looking through all of our old procedures and copying across anything that I thought didn't need too much work. Sometimes it's, it's easier to create it from scratch if something's a bit of a mess. So that was what I was weighing up. And then did you sort of have like um, folders where you, you had a few placeholders and you had to go and tap specific uh, team members to create the content for those procedures? Yeah, so I wanted to have the whole framework organised so that then it was easy for team members to come in and know, okay, well, that's missing at the moment, almost like 
a table of contents with, with of a book with bits that still needed to be written. So that was the bit I did, and we're and we're still working on the project. I think it'll take a couple of months, but it's created the structure that now that the managers across all the different departments can help their team members and just chip away at gradually filling out everything to make sure we've got a complete knowledge base. But if I just said, "Can you build a knowledge base for your department?" then it probably would have been overwhelming and it would have been consistent for across the business. Would you say you're sort of 80% done now or is it uh, still a way to go? I'd say I'd say more like 50%. Okay. So the, the structure's there and, and our deadline or the reason I was pushing hard was that we had two new team members starting and it's much more efficient if, if they can read existing procedures and look at videos. So we really prioritised what, what do they need in their first couple of weeks that's going to give them a good training experience and keep them busy and also minimise the time from the, the senior team members around training them. So we prioritised that and we prioritised onboarding. So what are all the, onboards, you know, the, the company handbook, the how do, how do they know who's who in the zoo? So people's names, job titles, a little bit about them, organisational chart, the playbook of where the business is headed vision, values, all that sort of stuff. We wanted to make sure it was in a central place as part of the onboarding process. And then <clears throat> things that they don't need to know in their first couple of months, that will happen later. For example, the sales section, that's not being delegated anytime soon. So we'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah, I think that's a good time to do it. I think the you know that stuff's really valuable when you're onboarding someone new. Um, but it's, it's hard to go and produce that stuff if you don't have anyone that's going to need it right now. And, mm-hmm. and then when it's too late, if uh, by the time you're ready to hire someone. So, yeah, it sounds like it's, it was a good time to jump in and do it. I think I probably wouldn't have tackled the project if we didn't have those two new people starting. But that was the catalyst of, okay, well, we need to, we, we want to create a good first impression. We're selling ourselves as employers too and we want to look organised and that we, things are in control. So it was, it was a good time to tackle that project. So another project I've been working on is not related to the merger, but it's related to the Beaninja's brand and updating our website. And as a developer, you probably have some more insights into this. So the problem that we were trying to, well, there were a couple of problems we were trying to solve. So one was that our brand was outdated. So our website was built by me and my co-founder accountant using on WordPress, using a Divi theme seven-day startup style. So we, we built it in a couple of days. So it was almost six years old now. <clears throat> so two two days work and you've been using it for six years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, we've, we've been adding to it sure. since then, ever since. But we we had we got something live in our first week and we got a customer. So that was – that's kind of the – it was a – not not lean startup but seven-day startup, which is for service businesses, was the method we were applying – at that time, you've got your money's worth out of those. That, oh, that def- definitely. Now, you? <laughs> I think we paid thirty nine dollars for the theme nice. that we were that we were using that we're still using. And so the, it felt like we'd outgrown the website, the the branding. We we did a brand refresh in terms of looking at our logo and our colors style guide, probably eight months ago, but that hadn't gone through to our website yet. Then it also felt felt bloated. I think that's one of the problems with WordPress that we just hadn't done a cleanup. So there's old old plugins, there's old pages. It was just six years worth of stuff there, some of which we weren't using. And then we also, well, I wanted us to have a look at speed. I don't think our site speed was optimized. 
And then really, what's the purpose of our website? It, partly we get we generate leads through SEO. That's a strategy that works well for us. And then people just come to our website to check us out before they buy. So it needs to look professional. It needs to convey the brand well, convey our updated positioning around being e-commerce growth accountants, not our old positioning, which was bookkeepers for online businesses. So they were the, the problems that we wanted to solve in doing a, a website refresh. And then we went down the path of, well, should we build with a headless CMS, which is, seems to be the new rage of fast static sites. So do we do that? Do we just need a different page builder and theme? And then so we researched all of that and then realised actually we've got so many existing assets with our website actually we probably just need to go and do a cleanup rather than rebuilding everything from scratch. So even though from a building something perspective, it's probably more fun to build something new, actually now we're, we've continued with the same theme and page builder and we're just refreshing sections. And so again, we're trying to push ourselves to execute quickly. So instead of building or doing the whole website at once, we're doing it in phases. So we've just tackled the blog section. So updated the podcast, the blog page, our guides and toolkits area and our free training, which is previous webinars we've done. So we tackled that and that all got pushed live over the, the weekend and then we're tackling another chunk because I can see otherwise or what happened last time with the website. We, last time we tried to do a big update was that it took months and months and dragged on and we'd forgotten where we were up to because we tried to do the whole thing all at once. So now we're just doing sprints, two or two or three weeks, finish something, get it shipped and then onto the next part of the website. So we, we're one one sprint down. So so far so good, but we'll we'll see how it goes. So there's progress, which is great. And I think I think you're right. Like if you try and bite off that whole project in one go, uh, it'll it'll never be done because yeah, there's too much to do, and and over that time frame, you're gonna have new stuff you've got to change and update before you're finished. So yeah, doing it in stages, I think, is definitely the right way to go. And it feels a bit counterintuitive. We're not tackling the most important pages first. So typically, someone would come to our homepage, and then they might look at our pricing page or about about us. I think is more commonly looked at for services businesses than than e-commerce. But they're typically our pages as well as our blog that that get most of the traffic. And so they're really important. But I found that they're the ones that require the most hard thinking and and maybe the most debate within our team as well. So for us, we decided to get a quick win and, and get the blog section updated first. And now we've got the theme and the style locked in. We, we can We can leverage that when we come back to tackle these other pages that are a bit harder in terms of a a copy and UX perspective. So it feels like we've got some runs on the board. Quick win. Now now we can tackle the the next hard bit. Keep the momentum going. Yeah. And do you have any thoughts on websites? I mean... It's been a long time since I've done any sort of, um, you know, freelance project websites like that. But, um, yeah, just I, I just do think that you... The way you're going is the right way to go. And, you know, ultimately, I think the website's got to deliver the content to the people that, you know, you want to connect with. So, you know, questions like headless CMS versus WordPress, you know, I've got my opinions on that, but it really doesn't matter uh, mm-hmm. unless that you've got a real reason to go one over the other. So, does, so your strategy to stick with what you've got, 
sort of improve the content, reorganize, um, focus on the branding and that sort of stuff is the, I think is the right way to go because that will pay off if you then do go to a different platform later or mm-hmm. move, you know, add different functionality. All that, all that effort now won't be lost. Whereas you could move platforms and you'll be sitting around for six months trying to rebuild everything on a new platform and you really haven't gained anything and your, your potential customers haven't gained anything either. So, the, you know, it, sometimes it feels good to do that stuff. Sometimes there's a good reason to do it, but I don't think it's the most efficient way to do it. So this, yeah, I think this is a good, good plan, good strategy. I think that the switching cost is sometimes ignored and when it's just one or two people. So in the early days of Beanages, just me and my co-founder, we, we could change things really fast and just adapt. But when you have a team or other people involved, then there's actually a switching cost. There's a, a cost to move everything across. There's a tr- there's a training factor to build in as everyone gets up to speed. And that was something we were thinking through with the website. Well, it would be fun to go with the new technology, but hang on, our content person's not a developer. They need to be able to add changes and add blog posts. The, the person that looks after the careers and jobs part of our website where we're posting fairly frequently, they're not a developer. They need to be able to make these these changes. I mean, probably not a topic for today, but that's something that I think about with a big move like changing project management software. That's a project that we ran a couple of years ago and, and we revisit or consider, are we using the right software? It's, it's a good question to ask, but there's a lot of expense and resources involved in switching a whole team of people across to a new piece of software and I think that can sometimes be ignored when there's a shiny new tool to try. Definitely it's always fun to try new tools and see what they can do but there's a lot of the time you know it, the, the the gains are marginal and the costs are like you know retraining people and finding out what bit of functionality it actually doesn't support that you've relied on um, in your existing platform can be a problem so you know, I think that's that's probably a reason why WordPress continues to be so popular. Is like everyone knows the editing inf- interface, right? The admin interface. Yep. If you're a content writer, you probably have used it um, for years. And I think that you know, I, I really like all the headless CMS stuff, but it's a tough sell uh, to anyone that isn't technical or, or at least has mm-hmm. some ability to edit it. There, there's some, there are some um, apps out there that provide editing interfaces, um, and I mm-hmm. think. I think some of them are getting traction, but they don't really seem to be making much of a dent. It seems to be the headless CMS stuff still, still seems to be very much rooted in the sort of developer technical space. So mm. I don't know, maybe it'll change. It might maybe be, just take time. Well, I think the the editing interface problem. I reckon that might mm-hmm. might move it. Um, you know, some, something like the, the WordPress experience, but uh, headless CMS, but then... That itself is a tough sell. I mean, why why would you why would you install something like that um, unless you really understood the technical benefits of a headless CMS? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think WordPress will be around and be the king for some time to come. Yeah. Well, I we, I can go into a little bit of a, a notion rabbit hole. We've got a little bit of time left, but I've been exploring from a, a personal blog point of view well what does that look like publishing from notion and there's ways that, because it's so easy to write and yeah. it looks beautiful so rather than writing and then copy and pasting somewhere else and formatting you can do it straight from notion and you're just but sharing then, like you're, you're publicly sharing the content in notion so if someone wants to view it they're actually yeah. going to the notion website and they're viewing your well, notion notebook 
Yeah, so that's the problem. I don't want someone to go to a URL of Notion. I would want them to go to a different URL and yep. then I'd want the SEO benefits, which you wouldn't get from being on Notion. So there's there's tools out there that can solve that problem. Uh, so that's that's something that I'm looking at at the moment. But again, conscious of going down a rabbit hole, <laughs> wasting <laughs> a lot of time researching something. And the reason I brought this up is because I wanted to circle back to Notion I wrote on LinkedIn a post about the knowledge base that, that I was building there or that they were building as a team and someone asked me how, how, what other tools that I've researched as well as Notion. And I said, well, I only had two weeks to, to get this thing up and running. I knew that Notion had the key features that we needed so I didn't research any other tools and just built it and figured that there's – there's not a high switching cost in terms of being able to export things if we need to move to a new tool later. But I, I thought that was an interesting conversation of well, sometimes you need to do a lot of research, but sometimes in that case I didn't. I didn't really do much at all. I just wanted to get something built and, and thought that it's not that hard to move to something else later. Yeah, better, better the tool that you have now and that works, right? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever looked at Rome Research? Oh, so I have. Yeah. I, so I'm exploring, I'm doing a, a course at the moment called Building a Second Brain, which is a personal knowledge management system with the goal of creating more content or more artifacts, whether it's podcasts, writing, blog posts, writing books, whatever it is, but thinking, bringing ideas together, so doing good thinking and then actually producing something. And a lot of people in that course recommend Rome because of the way that you can interlink ideas and their backlinking feature. So I started exploring that and then I stopped and, and realised I need to get Notion working better for me and I actually need to be publishing more pieces of content before I'm allowed to go down the Rome research rabbit hole. You've got to earn it first, you think? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I, I tried it a while ago. I think it was pretty early on. Uh, and it has some really interesting ideas. Like the backlinks uh, thing I think is really interesting. Um, and the the idea of all the, the blocks that it sort of works with. But I just, it, it, I think it was too much for me. I don't, I just don't. Maybe if I put the effort in to learn it really well. But um I, I mean, I tend to either use, I use Bear, which is a sort of a note, a notebook app that's on Mac and iOS. So I use that quite heavily for writing things and taking notes. And it does, it's like 90% of what I need. So yeah, it does. I don't feel like I'm getting enough from going uh, to Rome. And also early on, the, uh, the UI was pretty ugly and I just couldn't stomach mm -hmm. it. So <laughs> I stuck with Bear. <laughs> Well, yeah, I've heard there's a big learning curve with Rome and I realise I'm, I'm trying to write more and I'm not doing much of that at the moment. So, have, yeah, <laughs> have to wait. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've got to earn it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That, you you, you said it. it well. So before we wrap up, let's have a little bit of a, a look into the future and what's on for you over the, the next couple of weeks. So for me it's going to be um, I've got a – uh, at least one user that I'm going to be installing, I'm going to be getting on a Zoom call and installing Crossbeam into their store this week. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, it'll be, it's a little bit scary because it's the first time I'm going to find out, you know, do they install it and the whole thing crashes or, you know, I've I've made some fatal error in my <laughs> database design or something like that. But uh, that, that shouldn't happen. But it's always, you know, there's always going to be unexpected things come up. 
and we'll sort of know after a couple of beta testers have installed and had a look, we'll sort of know how far along we are and if this end of June deadline is really uh, realistic or if there's still a lot of work ahead of us. So it's sort of going to be, uh, we'll get some clarity, I guess, be, around where we're actually at. You know, I, I think I know that we're where we are, but I think I'll really know where we are in about another week. Great. Well, really good chatting with you, Matt. It was a fun conversation. So we'll be back on the mics again in a couple of weeks and we can hear what that that level of clarity looks like. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Meryl. Good talking to you. Thanks, Matt.